0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website
1: at www.thevinemadison.org. This
0: is verses 11 through 20 out of Zephaniah 3. On that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at that time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned, and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord.
1: Well, amen. How are we doing? Pretty good. All right. Well, welcome to the Vine Church. If you're new, I'm glad to be with you this morning and would love to talk with you after service to get to know you. My name is James. I'm on staff here, and I do a lot of things with kids and, and families. And uh, one thing that we have coming up um, hopefully, um, throughout the year, uh, that I'm excited to, to, to just to begin is just what we want to call next gen parenting conversations. Uh, We want to be a ministry, as we think about our kids, that's equipping and encouraging us as parents to continue in just the faithfulness of raising our kids to know Jesus. And if you're a parent, you know that's hard. It's hard to persevere. And so we need encouragement. We need equipping. And so throughout the year, every so often, I, I hope we can have some conversations just around topics so what do you do about technology and kids, or what do you, you know what about sex, and how do you teach that? Um, but we're going we're gonna to start this uh, next month, and maybe every couple months we'll have a conversation. Um, but on February 6th at the 9 a.m. hour so there is child care um, we're just going to have a conversation, really for new or maybe expecting parents, of what is God's design for the family. What does it look like to lay down gospel foundations as your family begins? And we got some seasoned parents joining us for this conversation to learn from, from their wisdom, and I'm excited to have this conversation. So, February 6th, 9 a.m., and you can expect more of these conversations hopefully throughout this year. But Zephaniah, here we go. Last chapter in the book, and I think I got the better allotment than Houston. But as we begin, I wanted to share a story from my own life. Uh, A few years ago, there was a pattern of sin in my life that became exposed. Obviously, it was a sin against God, but it was also a sin which deeply wounded my wife, Emily. And worse, it was a pattern of sin. I'm ashamed to say that I tried to hide. But God, in his faithfulness, brought it to light. And I remember in that moment of being exposed, of just being utterly paralyzed, like unable to move or think, deeply ashamed for what I'd been caught up in. And I crawled, I remember I crawled under our bed covers for what seemed like hours. And I remember as Emily came into our room and she said, James, let's, let's go for a walk. Let's go for a walk. And that didn't sound like a good idea. I would rather in these moments just continue wallowing in my own self-misery than be confronted with the, the woman that I deeply offended and hurt and wounded. But somehow, in some way, we, we took that walk, and as we began to stroll down our street, fully expecting at any moment Emily to just you know have this outburst of anger for what I had kept hidden and how I had wounded her, and rightfully so, Emily took my hand in hers and she turned towards me and she looked at me and she said, James, I love you and I am for you. And as those words fell on me, everything within me melted. And my emotional dam busted open, and I was a mess of tears and snot in front of our neighbor's house. You see, the last thing I expected to hear from Emily in that moment was actually the most important thing I needed to hear. That in spite of what I'd done towards her, I remained loved by her. While I was being this totally self-absorbed jerk of a husband, Emily came towards me and surprised me with this offer of undeserved grace. And of course, as there always is, there were consequences that came out of my sin. But ultimately, there was a relief. A relief knowing I was embraced in her love and forgiveness. And it's the same type of relief in a very small sample that we see Zephaniah proclaiming the gospel of God brings to all of humanity. And if you've been tracking with us the last two weeks, you've heard Zephaniah screaming, right? Bad news, bad news, judgment, bad news, judgment, right? And it hasn't been all that fun. Yet as we come into Zephaniah's final message, after exposing every person, every person as selfish and unloving and idolatrous and proud and unjust, Zephaniah proclaims this, but even you, even you can hear our heavenly father declare these words over you, I love you. I delight in you. And I am with you. You see, God surprises us, us sinners, with His grace. That though all those evil things about us are true, our heavenly desires, His heart is to speak these words over you that He loves you, delights in you, and wants to be with you. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that? Some of you, I'm certain, are in a season where you doubt that's really true. Perhaps you feel worn down or beaten up, weary, and maybe God just seems distant. Or perhaps you find yourself shackled in a particular sin this morning, too ashamed maybe to lift your ears to believe that this good news is for you. You know, I don't know where you are in your pursuit of Jesus this morning, but I hope that this final message of Zephaniah unveils in greater, more profound ways this immense surprise of God's grace for you, a sinner. Let's pray. Father, we need this word this morning. Lord, I know I come into this Sunday weary, wanting to give up in a lot of ways, And so, Lord, I pray by the power of your spirit, Lord, that you would speak to us. Remind us of what is true. Lord, open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts. We need you, Jesus, and the power of your spirit to do so. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, our big idea is this, that God surprises us by his grace, and we see it in three ways. We see that God surprises us by refining us, by rejoicing over us, and by restoring us. We're surprised how God refines us, rejoices over us, and restores us. So surprised by the grace that refines us. Let me ask you this, how many of you growing up heard these words, go to your room, And wait for your father to come home. I hear some chuckles. I did. And perhaps less than you might think. But this was not go to your room and wait for dad because he's coming home with so many presents and a happy meal, right? Of course not. It was go to your room because you messed up, child. And when dad comes home, he's laying down the law, right? And I remember in those moments, those few times, that that, that dread of waiting, that dread of, of hearing the front door open, that dread of hearing the muffled sounds of my mom telling my dad, like, what's going on, that dread of hearing my father's footsteps down the hallway, and ultimately the dread of, what is my consequence? It's this dread of waiting, this this dread of of impending punishment. I still get squirrely like thinking about it. It's this wait till your dad gets home moment, which which we read last week, but which we need to build upon as we come into our text this morning. So look with me at verse 8 of chapter 3. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. Wait for me. Judah, wait for me, Jerusalem, wait for me, nations. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day, the day of the Lord, when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed." In other words, dad's coming home and he's laying down the law. Judgment is coming against every nation and every person who's rejected God. And Zephaniah describes it, right? He says there at the end, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. All the earth, not parts. That's not good, right? When dad comes home, home, every one of his kids is getting judgment. All the earth will be consumed, no one escapes. And Zephaniah proclaims the same judgment back in chapter one. He, he's already said the same thing, I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I'm not sure Zephaniah could be any more clear that this judgment will be universal and total. So we'd expect that when this fire burns down, when the embers cool, when the smoke clears off, that all we would find is a remaining gigantic pile of ash, right? Yet surprisingly, we find amongst that ash, as Houston told us last week, a remnant of people A people from every nation which is saved from destruction. And that's wild, right? Look with me in verse 11. On that day, on this day of the Lord, on that day you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain, but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. So, so yes, God's judgment, it does sweep away the proud. Those who reject God, they are removed. We see that in verse 11. I will remove from your midst your proudly exalted ones. But God, surprisingly, in his grace, saves a remnant of people. How can that be? Well, as Houston said last week, we, we insert Jesus, right? Jesus, who took upon himself this wrath of God for our sake, so that all who humble themselves before God may receive his life and be spared from the flames of judgment. But not only are we spared from the flames of judgment and destruction, but we are changed. See that in verse 11? You shall no longer be haughty or proud in my holy mountain. You see, God in his grace and by his power takes this wayward people and surprisingly refines them. And ultimately we see it's a people in verse 13 that those who are left in Israel, what is true? They shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. This is wild stuff. That this remaining remnant, once proud and arrogant, with hearts bent towards idolatry and injustice, is refined by God in such a way that they will walk in complete justice and truth. For Zephaniah says there in verse 13. What is there nothing of? There's no injustice anymore. There's no falsehood. There's no deceit any longer, right? Meaning this remaining remnant will find perfect rest and enduring satisfaction. I love how verse 13 closes. It says, for they, this, this remnant of people, they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. If, if you work with an animal and as one married to a chicken farmer, you know that the only way in which an animal lies down is when there's absolutely no threat of violence or harm against them. And God says, on that day, none shall make the remnant, my people, afraid. Doesn't that sound glorious? Perfect rest, enduring rest. Satisfaction, no more injustice, no more lies, no more threats of harm or violence. But we graze and we lie down. And so as we read Zephaniah's final message, we surprisingly encounter an entirely different kind of wait till your dad gets home moment. How many of you have seen those videos of a military father or, or mother coming home surprising their kids? Probably most of us, right? And I don't know about you, but like, I'm like compelled every time to push play. Like I can't help myself whenever I see it pop up. And you know how it goes, right? The child's at a ball game, a school event, something of just normal, ordinary life. And while they know mom or dad is, is coming home at some point, they're unsuspecting that the moment is now. And so when mom or dad, who's been in the military for some time, comes home, and when the child sees them, it's just like this 100% authentic joy. And they're crying, and I'm crying, and it's just this purest sense of happiness, right? Of child together, fully united together with mom and dad as it's meant to be. It's amazing, Friends, if you've placed your trust in Jesus, that's the type of arrival we await. To be united fully with our heavenly Father, just as it was always meant to be, way back in the garden, but derailed by sin. But now, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we await not with dread, but with hope. Amen? And it's a hope that's freely offered to all who come to God in humility, acknowledging their sin and placing their trust in the finished work of Jesus. And it's also a hope of one day dwelling where there's no more injustice, where there's no more falsehood, where there's no more fear of violence or harm but to dwell in a perfect rest and an enduring satisfaction as Zephaniah has declared, to graze and lie down. Yet this future day of the Lord has yet to come in full, right? In fact, our present reality is the same reality of Zephaniah's time living in a broken world, filled with injustices, filled with falsehoods, filled with violence. Now hear this, because Zephaniah's message is this. It's not that there's injustice and falsehood and violence out there amongst the world. No. It's that all of that is in here. Is inside of me. I, you have hearts filled with injustice and pride, with lips that speak falsehood, with minds dictated by fear. And so Zephaniah's call to Judah then and to us now is to own our sin. To own our sin. To stop trusting in ourselves and managing our own salvation as if we can do it. To stop wagging our finger at other people's sins and rather examine our own hearts. To stop exerting all of our energy on, on defending ourselves. Of making excuses for why we've messed up or, or thinking that we could hide our junk from God. No, Zephaniah calls us to own our sin. And who does Zephaniah say is swept away by God's judgment? It's the proud, right? It's the one who says, such in verse 15 of chapter 2, I am, and there is no one else. Or in chapter 3, verse 2, it's the one who says, I listen to no voice and accept no correction. Those who share that heart will be swept away. But in verse 12, God says, I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. That's who God delivers. It's not the perfect, and it's not the powerful. It's the humble. The one who recognizes that on their own, we're unable to bring about what verse 13 says. This place of perfect peace and enduring satisfaction. And in a lot of ways, our world spends a lot of energy trying to find verse 13, do they not? We cannot find it on our own. We need a deliverer. We need a savior. It's a people ultimately that knows they need Jesus that is saved. And so, as we turn to apply this first point into our lives, one Bible teacher says it so well saying this We must be heavenly minded if we're to be any earthly good. We must be heavenly minded if we're to be any earthly good. In other words, we must be day of the Lord Christians, bringing about God's justice, bringing about God's truth, bringing about God's peace right now on this earth. That's who we are because that's who God is. So we ask and we act faithfully, where can I bring God's justice today? Today? Who needs to hear God's truth proclaimed? Where might I bring God's peace to another? This is who we are because that's who God is. And who we are becoming tells a lot about the God we worship. For instance, if I worship money, I'll be controlled by the power of what money can purchase and I'll always look for ways to acquire more. And as a result, I will become Increasingly selfish, increasingly stingy, jealous, ungrateful. If I worship God, by his grace and by the power of his spirit, I will be a person who's becoming more like Jesus. Increasing in love and humility. Filled with compassion and increasing in truth and righteousness. That's who I'll become. So we must ask ourselves this morning, what kind of person are you becoming? What kind of person are you becoming? What would others in your city group, your family, your friends, what would they say of who you're becoming? Are you becoming increasingly dependent upon God and, and his righteousness? Are you increasing in confession and repentance? Are you Finding an increase in rest and satisfaction in the promises of God throughout Scripture. As Zach says often, it's not about perfection, but it's the direction that you're headed that matters. Are you increasing in these things of the Lord? Or perhaps said in the negative sense, in what ways have you stopped pursuing Jesus? Where do you find you've become stagnant in your faith? Zephaniah calls us to own our sin. The surprising grace of God refines every follower of Jesus. And it also, secondly, rejoices over us. Zephaniah, rather quickly, in my mind, moves from like judgment, destruction, judgment, destruction, to verse 14, and now you will sing! It's a little quick for me. But in verse 14... Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. This is a call to an exuberant form of worship in our declaration and demonstration. But we have good reason for it, do we not? Verse 15 is just filled with our reasons. Three of them, in fact. The Lord, he says in verse 15, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. I mean, what do you do when you understand the hell that you deserved was paid for by Jesus? Well, we rejoice. He also says, the Lord has cleared away your enemies. Right there in verse 15. I mean, what do you do when you realize that God has removed all those opposed to Jesus and your faith in him? Well, you rejoice. And Lastly, in verse 15, it says, "The king of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. I mean what do you do when you realize the God of this universe is not distant, but He laid down his kingly robes to dwell with you. You rejoice, especially when we know He says He will never leave you or forsake you." So Zephaniah calls God's people to rejoice? For what is true of God and what he has done, Zephaniah turns the camera around. If you have kids, like you're always turning the camera around, right, so the kid can see what's happening. But God's turning the camera around and allows us to actually see in this moment what God sees and thinks about you. I mean, consider the, the people of Judah who Zephaniah is writing to, consider like how would they think God thinks or sees them right now in this moment? I mean, they just got this scathing rebuke, right? This pronouncement of judgment. I mean, if I'm them, I'm thinking God's ticked off, perhaps ashamed, regretful, disappointed. Have you ever wondered what God thinks of you? I mean, if you had to write it down, if you had a piece of paper and I say, hey, fill in the blank, how does God see you right now? What would you answer that with? And why? Why? Well, Zephaniah proclaims how God sees you. It's a John 3.16 verse of Zephaniah. Verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He'll rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. If you don't have that committed to memory, I encourage you to do that this week. What amazing words. That God rejoices over you. That God exalts over you with loud singing. See, I think this just speaks of God's delight in you, his child. And it's a gladness and a singing like maybe you do in the car or the shower when you believe no one else is listening. It's this unashamed, unrestricted delight. For God is not ashamed of his love for you. You see, we rejoice in God because surprisingly, he's already rejoicing over you, his child. In fact, I'd say this, he's more excited to see you than you are to see him. Charles Spurgeon just drops the mic on this quote. Check it out. Believer, you are happy when God blesses you, but not as happy as God is. You are glad when you are pardoned, but he who pardons you is more glad. The prodigal son came back to his home and was very happy to see his father, but not as delighted as his father to see him. The father was more full of joy because his heart was larger than his son's. Wow. If you're a parent, I think you grasp this well right now. That as your child delights, be it you know opening a birthday present to a stellar performance on the ball field or acing something, a, a test at school, but as your child delights, seeing your child delight, there's actually a far greater delight within mom and dad. And especially if your child has been wayward and has now come home. That's us. That's us. And God delights in his wayward children coming home. How might our lives be different if we fully grasped, embraced how it is God thinks of his kids? You know what? God's the only one A parent can't say this. A spouse can't say this. A best friend can't say this. Only God can say this. God's the only one who loves you just for you. And I can say that because with God, you bring nothing to the table. I bring nothing to the table. God loves you for you. Despite your failures, your shortcomings, your sin, God, catch this now, delights in you as much as God delights in his own perfect son, Jesus, because you are his beloved son or daughter. This is how God sees you if you are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ this morning, if Jesus is not your treasure this morning, let you hear these words: He loves you. God loves you enough to call you to repentance of your sins and to trust in His Son Jesus. God loves you enough to send His Son to die the death you should have died on that cross. So, what can you do about it? You can receive it, and secondly, you can rejoice in it. You want one more reason to rejoice in God? Grasp how it is that God thinks of you. C.S. Lewis sums this up really well by saying, this all seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. Does this impossible thing surprise you this morning? How might your life be changed if you fully embraced God's supreme delight in you? The surprising grace of God refines every follower of Jesus, rejoices over them with delight, and lastly, we see, restores them. We're surprised how God restores his followers. Look with me in verse 18 and 19. We see that there's three different types of people, Zephaniah, Zephaniah. Uh, says, God gathers together on this day of the Lord. We see in verse 18, it's it's those who who mourn for the festival. In 19, we see he gathers the lame and he gathers the outcast. Remember in verse 8, the last time that God actually gathers people together on the day of the Lord, it's, it's to do what? It's to pour out his wrath. But check out what happens at this gathering of people on this same day of the Lord. He says in verse 20, at that time on the day of the Lord, when I gather you together... I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This time, God gathers these mourners, those who are lame, the outcasts, to make them into, what does it say, a people that's praised among all the peoples of the earth and with fortunes restored before their eyes. That sounds good, right? Right? So so who are these people? Who's benefiting from this? Who are these people who are mourning their festivals? Who are the lame, the outcast? Well, these are God's people. You see, God's people is not necessarily the rich, the smart, or the strong. God's people are identified by Zephaniah as those who mourn. Those who are cast off from society. Those who are lame. If we're honest, it seems like God's maybe gathering together maybe the wrong type, or just like, God, like you're kind of gathering a band of losers here, right? Like, who's rushing up to sign up with like these categories of people? But here's the deal. As we continue living in our broken world, the cost of faithful obedience to Jesus will be costly. So just like those in Zephaniah's day... Those who are mourning this loss of their festivals due to some sort of oppression over God's people. Followers of Jesus will likewise be oppressed. Be it family or or neighbor, just culture at large. For the things we believe or the ways in which we live out our faith in Jesus. And there will be loss. And there will give reason to mourn. The, the, the faithful follower of Jesus may be labeled, not necessarily, but may be labeled as an outcast, a, as one out of touch with reality, perhaps even dangerous to society. The faithful follower of Jesus may become lame, enduring either physical or, or emotional harm, deeply violated against for their immovable commitment to the things of Jesus. Yet God calls his people to a pathway of humility and lowliness, to fully depend on, on God and his promises and what he says is true. And this is antithetical to everything the nations from all of time has promoted. Right? We heard this in the beginning of Zephaniah. I am, the nation's declaring, I am, and there is no one else. Yet the only exaltation for that type of heart is only of what they make of themselves in this temporary and fleeting world of ours, for it will all burn in judgment. Yet the surprise of God's grace is is that it's for those who embrace a life of humility. Though it may lead to mourning. Though it may lead to being labeled as an outcast. Though it may lead in becoming physically or emotionally lame. It's those who are immovable in their commitment to be day of the Lord people who will find eternal exaltation with Jesus forevermore. And God declares at the end of this verse that everything you've lost on this earth for the sake of your faithfulness to the things of me will be restored. And I believe, knowing God's heart a little bit towards his people, that when God says, I will restore your fortunes, he's going to restore your fortunes in ways far more than you'd ever imagine. But that day has not come yet in full. As we live today, it's, it's hard to be a loser, right? It's hard to be a loser, And yet Jesus knows it. Think of all the ways the world around Jesus labeled him, laughed at him, mocked him, doubted him. Jesus lost more than we ever will, and yet in humility, Jesus turned to his father in trust in what he said he will do, he will do. And he gave up his life. Willingly. And God our Father did not fail Jesus, did he? No. God raised Jesus from the dead and highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The fortunes of Jesus were restored. Perhaps our world will categorize you as a loser. But if they do, hold on. Because you're in the right category of people. You're in the right gathering. Ultimately, Judah, who Zephaniah is writing to, did not believe God and his promises. Did not believe that they were enough. And so they trust. They turn to trust in their own strength for their own future believing they could control and dictate their own lives better than God. But hear this now. In a few short years of Zephaniah's writing, hear this. The people of Judah will be taken away in exile and captivity. It never ends well for the proud and the arrogant. God exalts the humble and sweeps away the proud proud. And so, for you and I, as we continue to live in this beautiful yet broken world, to whom or to what is your trust? To whom or to what is your trust? Does your trust look more like that of Judah, self managing, or that of Jesus, willingly surrendering in trust? The surprising grace of God refines every follower of Jesus rejoices over them with delight and restores them to a place of exaltation. And in closing, the story I shared at the the outset, as I laid under the covers in our bedroom that day as Emily came in, hoping to convince me to go for a walk and talk things through, nothing within me believed that on the other end of that walk, on the other side of that walk, I would find grace. Even though I knew intellectually and experientially over and over Emily's godly character of grace and forgiveness. See, what I now know now is that that refusal, at least initially to go on that walk, was really a refusal to receive the grace she freely desired to give me. My sin kept me in a state of disbelief of the possibility of finding any love and forgiveness. And perhaps you're there today with Jesus. Maybe convicted of some sin, but scared and paralyzed like I was. Not sure what you'd find on the other side of confessing your sin. Perhaps intellectually knowing of God's love, yet disbelieving it could actually be true for you. I promise you this, friends, that Jesus is far more gracious and far more loving than any person I know. And I pray you discover this morning and many times over the surprising grace of God as you come to him in faith. Church, our Heavenly Father is coming home. Let's wait with hope, not with dread. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for a message like Zephaniah that calls us to own our sin and to cast our eyes upon you, Jesus, the beauty of you, the supremacy of you. So Lord, I pray for all of us here in person and for the many I know gathered with us online that you would stir our hearts to know what is true. Lord, why your spirit, I pray that you would convict where conviction is needed, that you would encourage where hearts need to be encouraged this morning. Lord, we desperately need you in a world that, while beautiful, clearly is broken. Lord, we want to be day of the Lord people that are all about the business of bringing about your justice, peace, and love. Help us to be that, Lord.